Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at the Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. Everybody this morning. Good, good. Let's um, open up to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to take a little short break from our series on life and times of Jesus to talk Christmas. Because it is the Advent season. Advent historically is the four weeks before and including Christmas. And, And the word Advent, if you're not familiar with it, just means coming or appearing or revealing of Christ. And that's what this season is all about, right? And so for the three Sundays leading up to Christmas and then Christmas Eve, we're going to take this time and we're going to spend it, and here's the key, preparing for Christmas. Preparing for Christmas. Now, for most American families, Christmas is huge, isn't it? It's like the biggest event of the year. And a lot of people spend a lot of time and effort preparing for Christmas, don't they? But not always the way we're talking about preparing, right? Oftentimes it's decorating something, getting the lights out, getting a tree and decorating all of that and buying tons of presents. And some people are making their travel plans and and plans to go and visit family or or to throw a big Christmas party or, or to cook a big feast. But what we're saying for the month of December is that all that's fine. All right, that's all good and well and whatever. But way, way, way more important than any of that is that we would be prepared for Christmas spiritually. Amen? That we'd get our focus right, right? Because here's the deal. Some of you guys won't agree with this, but we could do away with all the rest of it, couldn't we? Listen, you could actually, I know you're not going to believe this, you could survive Christmas without twinkle lights. You would make it past. You would live if you didn't have a Christmas ham. You'd make it. You'd make it. If you didn't even get a present, and I know there's some militant Christmas people in here who are going to lynch me afterwards. If you didn't get a present, you'd still make it through. But Christmas would have absolutely no meaning, would it, without Christ? We could do away with the rest. We can't do away with Jesus. So we're going to take this time during a very busy time in our lives. Usually December is crazy for everybody. And check our focus. And make sure that we're not too busy. And make sure that we're not too distracted to have Jesus in our Christmas. Pretty important thing. So let's read through this, Matthew chapter 1. And what I want to do is just have this text kind of lay as a backdrop for us. We're going to make several references to it. We're not going to go through it and pick it apart. But let's just read through it, beginning in verse 18. This tells us of the birth of Jesus. Now, the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. 
you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And this gets into some important territory. For he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Behold, a virgin shall be with child. She will bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated means God with us. So he's telling Joseph right there, the whole thing's within the plan of God. Joseph awoke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife, but he kept her a virgin until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. Now, that's the real Christmas story, right? We attach a whole lot of things around Christmas time that don't really have much to do with that. But the reason that we're spending a month focusing on this is that there is, and you know this, in our day and in our land, there's a growing disconnect, right, between that story and all the silly things that we've made up around Christmas, right? There's great confusion, and it's evident by our actions. Christmas is the most celebrated holiday in America, yet we're not supposed to talk about Christ during Christmas, even though it's in the very name Christ's mask. So we're supposed to say silly things like happy holidays, right? And that's what we're told. This guy wrote this, Don Tennant. Listen to him. He says, beginning in the mid 20th century, as the Christian associated Christmas holiday became increasingly secularized and central to American economics and culture, while religio-multicultural sensitivities arose, generic references, references to the season that omitted the word Christmas became more common in the corporate and public sphere of the United States. Now, for anybody who didn't black out during that, what he is saying is this. It became a way for people not wanting anything to do with Jesus to celebrate Christmas without Christ to have a holiday that they wanted to have traditionally, believed Jesus out of it, and it gave corporations a great way to capitalize on it. They want the holiday, but find it incredibly inconvenient to have Jesus attached to it. But when you say happy holidays, or for those that are, I don't even know what that means, but celebrating happy holidays, the joke's kind of on them a little bit. Because that word holidays comes from the old English, holy days, and it's a reference to the advent of Christ anyway, because there's nothing holy about these days except the fact that Jesus was born in them, so it kind of doesn't work out for the happy holidays crowd. So, so then you switch to season's greetings, right? I have no clue what to do with that. Like season's greetings, like, hey, I'm greeting you for the season, And here's your season present. I don't know what you do with that. My friend who is uh, an atheist, one of my close friends, they celebrate Christmas. Him and his family and none of them believe in God. And so I always ask him, like, what are you celebrating? And this was his answer to me one year. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. So I had an instant question for him. Here's my question. Is there then widespread peace on earth? Is that what you're celebrating? I mean, if you look at, you know, Syria and Iraq and ISIS and, and whatever you want to look at around the world and, 
Ferguson, Missouri, is there really peace on earth? And he had to say no after an evaluation of, of the recent news and so forth. So, so the question is, what are you celebrating when, when you're celebrating Christmas, but you don't have Christ in it? Plus, I had to point out to him that he explained to me how he celebrates Christmas without God by quoting a Bible verse. Because peace on earth and goodwill toward men is what the angel said to the shepherds on that night. And it's just in the King James. He just left out the first part, which is glory to God in the highest. So the guy explained to me how to celebrate Christmas without Christ by quoting a Bible verse. The point is you can't get Christ out of Christmas, can you? There's a growing disconnect there, right? Right on Black Friday, what happens? You watch the news. It's every single time, isn't it? People are just getting stampeded in the doorways of Walmarts and malls and all the rest of it, like aunties over there, like throwing elbows to get the latest whatever Xbox or something for her kid or whatever, all to celebrate the one who said, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure at heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God, right? There's a great disconnect, isn't there? My favorite one is this. We celebrate a Jewish Messiah by cooking a Christmas ham. Guys, that's a massive disconnect right there. We've taken a godly man, St. Nicholas, who was truly, look and see who he was, great man of God. St. Nicholas, a bishop in the region of Asia Minor in, in Turkey. And somehow we've turned him into a guy that lives in the North Pole, flies around in a sleigh and hangs out with these magical flying reindeer and elves. It's like there's a great disconnect there. So our goal over the next few weeks is to reconnect. And we're going to define Christmas on four occasions. This week, we're going to talk about Christmas as hope. Next week, Christmas is peace. The following week, Christmas is joy. And then on Christmas Eve evening, we're going to look at Christmas as love. So today is Christmas is hope, and that's what it says up here. But we need to define hope for us because hope has historically been defined and understood and used in two ways. One is like our modern usage, kind of common use of the word hope, which is wanting something to happen. It's kind of a vague optimism, not really rooted in anything. So we say things like, I hope the waves get good, or I hope the wind dies down, or we say, I hope there's tacos at the party, or I hope my football team wins. It's not really rooted in anything. It's just a vague optimism. And that's how we often, in our modern vernacular, use the word hope. But there's also an archaic or or kind of an old way of using the word hope, and that is the biblical usage of hope. See, the the biblical usage of hope is not a vague optimism, but it's an absolute trust and reliance. Biblical hope is this. It is the assurance of what is to come based on the fact that God said it. Biblical hope is an expectation and an anticipation based on the promise of God and his character. A good example of that is in Hebrews chapter 6, where it says this. God also bound himself with an oath, so that those who receive the promise could be what? Perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given them 
both a promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable. Why? Because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge, that's Christians, those of us who have committed our life to Christ, can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It's the anticipation of something that we know to be true based on God's word and and his power, right? An example would be this. In Colossians, it says that you have this hope laid up for you in heaven. But biblical hope is not like, I hope there is a heaven. Biblical hope is the anticipation of what you know to be true, heaven. I know there's a heaven and I long to be there. That's what biblical hope is. That's the difference in the two hopes. And that's what we're talking about today. And one of the things that we know and understand as we look at the world around us is life without hope is unlivable. Life without hope is unlivable. The absence of hope is despair. We know people in our community, friends of ours that have turned to great substance abuse because of lack of hope, despair. Some have committed suicide, haven't they? Because they didn't have any hope. The the very definition of despair is a complete loss and absence of hope. Someone once wrote, a man can live about 40 days without food about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only about one second without hope. And our point, what we're getting at today, as we look at Christmas and think about hope in Christmas, our point is that the only real, true, transcendent, enduring, and eternal hope is found in Jesus Christ. And without hope, Life is unlivable. If you go, this is an interesting study to do. If you go and you look back statistically at the suicide rate among atheists, it's absolutely shocking. In fact, if you go look online, Google or whatever, uh, suicide rate among atheists, one of the things you'll see is that there's papers and papers and papers written on why atheists late in life often commit suicide. Or if you go do a study even of the the very famous atheists of the past few generations, guys like Frederick Nietzsche or, 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 uh, um, say, Ernest Hemingway or somebody like that, you see that many of them committed suicide or went mad late in life. Because as long as life was okay and everything was going good, they were happy. But when life took a downward turn for them and the future was only bleak, when they got an illness that was going to rob them of quality of life or or eventually take their life, or when they just started getting older and the body was breaking down and the best days were behind them, or or their mind wasn't as sharp. You know, many of the great atheistic thinkers of the past, the Frederick Nietzsche's and stuff, went mad because the mind wasn't as sharp anymore. And as they saw that their present was as good as it was going to get, 
and everything else from here on out is downhill, then they have no hope and they go into despair. Because this is why, right? Hope is all about the future, isn't it? Hope is all about the future. It's longing for something better. It's a belief that that I have a future. It's, It's a belief that my future can be brighter than my present. And when you don't believe that you have any future, you go into despair. You become hopeless. And that's where Jesus comes in. And that's why Christmas is so important, isn't it? Because the angel appears to to Joseph and says, she's going to bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus, and he's going to save his people from their sins. There's a hope. There's a future. This all took place, he said, to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Behold, a a virgin shall be with child. She's going to bear a son. You're going to call his name Emmanuel, which means God. God is coming here. That's hope. He's giving them hope. The angels appeared to the shepherds and say, Today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Because Jesus came. And, and, And that's what we celebrate, Christmas, right? Jesus came, but not only came, but he went to the cross to set us free from the power and the penalty of sin. And then he rose from the dead to show us that he alone has the power over death and we have nothing to fear. Then what happens? Our forever is taken care of when we put our trust in him, right? And when our forever is taken care of, we have hope, don't we? We have future and hope is all about the future. Regardless of what happens in this world, doesn't it? Regardless of what the world throws at you, regardless of what illness you get, regardless of how tough it gets in this world, your future is set and secure in Christ when you surrender your life to him and give your life to him. And your future and your forever is what? Glorious in his presence. That's why Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulation. He didn't like short sell us on what it meant to be a Christian. He said, this world's going to be rough, guys. But then he says, but take courage. Because I've overcome this world, you have hope. You have future. Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven. He didn't even view this earth as like where he lived. He said, I'm cruising here for this period of time. But my citizenship is in heaven from which I also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter said it this way. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a what? Living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. To obtain an inheritance. That's something we don't have yet, but we're going to get. It's a future thing. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. Reserved For you in heaven, that's hope, that's future, who are protected by the power of God through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Guys, that's what biblical hope is right there. That's what biblical hope is. That's why so many that don't have God end up, as they're facing the end of their life, in despair, 
And that's why at the same time, so many who have their hope firmly rooted in Jesus Christ have no fear of death. In fact, even eagerly anticipate it. That's why oftentimes you read these accounts of martyrs going to their death, doing what? Singing hymns. They're not in despair. They're they're not depressed. They're going to their death, singing hymns, going to the stake, going to the Colosseum. Whatever happened as you read these accounts in Fox's Book of Martyrs and, and different places, singing hymns as they go to death. That's why... I've been in hospital rooms with the terminally ill or or someone who is elderly and living in their very last days. And you go, hey, let me pray for you. And they go, don't pray that I get better because I'm going to meet Jesus. And I made a good run at it in this life and I'm done with it. God's done with me. Don't pray for a healing. And I've heard that more than once. And I'm sure you have too. That's why Paul wrote to the Philippians when he was talking about those who have died in the Lord. And he says, we do not grieve as the rest who have no hope. I mean, we grieve when somebody dies because we miss them, right? But we don't grieve like the rest because they have no hope. That's why Paul said at the very end of his life, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. My time of departure has come. He says, guys, I'm done for. My life is over. He says, I fought the good fight. I've finished the course, I've kept the faith, and then what's it say? In the future. That's hope. In the future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the righteous, uh, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but those who love his appearing. Guys, if you don't have that hope, you need that hope. You need to come to Jesus today. And, and church, for those that have that hope, and you read that scripture and you say amen, and I have hope and future with Jesus, it should change you. It should take away any fear that you have. It should cause you to live with a reckless abandonment for Christ. Amen? Listen to the way that Paul said it. He said it like this. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Here's what he's saying there. He says, if I go on living, I'm going to live a life for Christ. And I'm going to be a part of his plan and his purpose, fulfilling those things, giving incredible meaning and purpose to my life. I'm living for something so much greater than myself. And then he says, and when it's time for me to go be with the Lord, it's a gain. Why? Because I'm now with Jesus, where it says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be death and no longer mourning, no longer crying and no longer pain in Revelation chapter 21. That's why Christmas is hope. Because Jesus is the only hope for the world. Now, here's a question and an application for you. How is that hope? Knowing that about Jesus, affecting your life. How's it affecting my life? Are you living for something? God's plan, God's purposes that are so much greater than yourselves. Can you say with Paul, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. Because 
here's what we know and understand. So many Christians are merely content to just say to die is gain. They leave out the, the for, to live is Christ. And they're happy with the to die is gain, meaning that, that their Christianity is all about escaping hell and making heaven, and it has no more to it. And there's no real living for Christ involved in it now. And their life is spent for themselves, and their faith is little more than fire insurance at that point. Can you say, can I say, for me to live now is Christ. And when it's time for me to go, that's a gain. But right now, I'm living for Christ. The reason that's so very important for us to understand is that there's another element to biblical hope. There's more to the advent of Christ. Because not only can we and should we live in fearless abandonment to God because Christ came once. But we are to live with a sense of urgency because Christ is coming again, right? See, this is the deal. It's not only about the first advent, but it's also about the second advent. When we celebrate advent, it's not that he just came once. That wasn't the end of it. In fact, that was the beginning of it, wasn't it? And he's coming again. Paul writing to Titus captures this in the fact that we are to, when we think about Advent, have both of those things in our heart. Paul writing to Titus says this. He says, for the grace of God has, that's past tense, first coming, has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly and righteously and godly in this present age. God came, and therefore those happen. But look what he says in verse 13. Looking for what? The blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is, that we are to live for God because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men in the first coming. So then we have experienced the love and the grace, and we've had that displayed through the cross. And that is one point of motivation for us because we want everybody that we know to experience the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, we are looking for the blessed hope of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are looking for and to be living for the return of Christ, which should give our mission on earth a sense of urgency. Amen? So six of you believe that. I want you to notice something here in our text. When the angel appeared to Joseph, to explain the coming Messiah, notice that he pointed him to prophecy. It says in verse 21, She, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then look what he says. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. In that little section right there, guys, 
the angel quotes the book of Isaiah three different times. Now, here's the point, though. It's all in an effort to show Jesus, I'm sorry, to show Joseph that this is all a part of God's plan. The angel is trying to show Joseph and encourage him to be a part of God's plan, isn't he? He's coming, he's saying, hey, listen, this is all part of God's plan. It's all happening according to to God's prophecy and you need to be a part of it. Now, here's the point. God does the same thing with us because for every one prophecy of Jesus' first coming, there are eight prophecies of his second coming. That's to give us hope. Just like the angel came to Joseph and said, hey, listen, Joseph, I know things are crazy right now, but you know what? This is all happening, a part of God's plan, and I'm telling you ahead of time, and there's fulfilled prophecy so that you'll know it's true, and I want you to get involved in it. And so we now have not one prophecy, but eight for every prophecy of his first coming, and that's to give us hope. That's to remind us that God's still at work and it's to encourage every one of us to get in the game and to live for Christ. Paul, one of the most prolific missionaries, lived under that, understanding that Christ was coming back. And he wrote this. He said, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will be raised. And then those who are alive and remain, that's the church who's still here when Christ returns. Those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so they shall be with the Lord. And then he says, therefore comfort one another with these words. Turn with me real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This was written to give us hope. This is the reason that there is Christmas. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That means that you cannot inherit the kingdom of God in the state that you are presently. Nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. But I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, meaning we will not all die, but we will be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying which is written, and here's what Christmas is all about. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, notice, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. You see what happens right there? He says, this is what Christmas is all about. It's all about the fact that death will be swallowed up. You will be given victory. You will have nothing to fear in this life or the next life. Guys, that's hope. That's biblical hope. But notice what he says in verse 58. Therefore, because that's true, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, and abounding in the work of the Lord. You see... Celebrating Christmas and celebrating the advent of Jesus Christ should not only be about what Jesus did when he came, but it should also remind us of what he's doing right now. He is at work and on mission in this world through his church. And not only that, but that he's coming again, which should give us a great sense of urgency. Jesus himself said it this way. Blessed are those servants. When he was talking about his return in Luke chapter 12, he said, blessed are those servants whom the master will find watching, waiting, awake, alert when he comes. So the question for us, church, as we celebrate the Advent season and as we look back at what Christ has done for us, are you watching? Are you waiting? Are you awake? Are you alert, waiting for Jesus to come back? Is it causing a sense of urgency and mission to well up within you? Because everybody needs to know about this Jesus. There's only hope in one. There's only a future, an ultimate future in one. And that's in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that truth. We are amazed that you love us that much. That you would give us such an amazing, radical hope and future. That regardless of what this world holds for us, if we have surrendered our life to you and chosen to follow you, Our future, our forever is glorious in your presence. Lord, give us a sense of that as we enter into the Christmas season. Give us a sense of that as we now begin to worship you. Remind us of what's been done for us, Lord, and remind us what lays before us when we meet you and the glory to be beheld there. And Lord, cause that to stir in our hearts, to cause a sense of urgency, knowing that just as you came and people were caught off guard, and just as you came and Joseph was surprised, and just as you came and you told him that this is all a part of God's plan and he's to get involved, Lord, we recognize you're coming again. And we want to be in the game, on mission, with you now. Lord, stir in our hearts, stir in our church. Change us because of these truths. Lord, it's not in us naturally. We're not naturally loving and caring. We're not naturally giving. We're naturally self-centered, Lord, and we ask you to break that in us. 
build your character into them. The love that caused Christmas to happen. The care and compassion that brought you to this earth, Lord. Build it into our hearts as a church, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.